Blog Talk Radio. Breakthrough improvement. 
along with economic gains. So I guess they were really pleased that they got uh, a lot of what they wanted in their contract, which is good. And I think it's important that RNs have a voice in how things are done. Yeah. I mean, they're direct service to patients, so that's important.
including the AFL-CIO, Teamsters, and CWA, and more, have instead spoken out against it. In fact, there is broad opposition to fast-tracking the TPP across the political spectrum and across issues. Fast-track is far from a done deal in the U.S., and farm negotiators ought to be cautious before accepting provisions that will harm their population, said Kevin Zeese. Uh, see the piece of further background. Uh, the Daily Dot also captured Tuesday's scene from C-SPAN footage, writing about it here. It says, tell Congress don't fast-track TPP. Um, but uh, let, let's just play. It's only a couple of minutes, so let's just play this. Yeah, let's play that and see what they have to say.
The winners this week are union members at the State of the Union address showing that workers in raising wages are growing focus in policy circles. The runner-up for SAG and AFTER members celebrating the joy and entertainment that union members bring to millions every year. And the loser, Representative Tom McClintock, a Republican for California, for suggesting the minimum wage is only for teenagers and minorities. Oh, really? And the runner-up is Senator John McCain, Republican Arizona, for attempting to repeal the Jones Act and kill America's maritime industry jobs. I'm not quite sure what the Jones Act is. We ought to look that up. Well, um, while you do that, why don't you do that? And I wanted to, um, what I want to do, there's, there's more articles on the real important articles uh, explaining the problem with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And uh, here's one from Truth Out, but it says, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership will sink the middle class. And then the next, uh, the next article I want to read is, here's why the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement is just plain wrong by Robert Reich. So let's go to the Trans-Pacific Partnership will sink the middle class. Okay. Now, Truth Out is a pretty, pretty straightforward group of people. I trust them. Uh, American Pacific Partnership will sink the middle class. Uh, Daily Take Team and Tom Hartman program. Okay. Uh, truth, uh, six years into his presidency, President Obama is now taking heat from a surprising place. Congressional Democrats who are lining up against his plan to force the Trans-Pacific Partnership through Congress without any debate whatsoever. If approved, the TPP, or as I call it, I like to call it the Southern Hemisphere Asian Free Trade Agreement, SHAFTA, would create a whole new set of rules regulating the economy of 12 countries on four different continents bordering the Pacific Ocean. Unfortunately, because the TPP is being negotiated almost entirely in secret, we don't know a lot about it. What we do know about it, though, comes from almost uh, entirely from leaks, and those leaks paint a pretty scary picture. Thanks to groups like WikiLeaks, we now know that the TPP would give big pharmaceutical companies virtual monopoly patent power, like corporations sue countries in international courts over regulations that corporations don't like, and gut environmental and financial rules. Given facts like this, you'd uh, think that President Obama would want Congress to actually take the time and debate whether or not TPP is a good idea for the U.S. public. But that's apparently not the case. To use the U.S. on to to push the U.S. onto the TPP as soon as possible, he asked Congress to give them fast-tracking powers that would prevent lawmakers from making any amendments to the TPP. Instead, the treaty would be sent right to the floor where it would only have to pass a simple majority vote. Sounds pretty anti-democratic, right? Well, it is. And that's why congressional Democrats are now speaking out against President Obama's request for fast-tracking powers. But the fight against the TPP is about more than just whether our elected representatives should get a say in the trade policy of our republic. It's about whether the middle class will survive through the next generation. An economist, Adam Smith, pointed out in his classic book, The Wealth of Nations, manufacturing is what really creates the wealth of nations. 
That's because manufacturing creates things of real value, like cars, that can be sold to create wealth. This, in turn, helps create a middle class made up of working people who make the things that fuel the economy. Every single great power in modern world history has understood this. That's why they protected their domestic industries with strong tariffs that made goods produced by domestic factories cheaper than those made abroad. Founding fathers, on this, uh, the result was Hamilton's uh, uh, famous report. The, the founding fathers understood the importance of manufacturing oh. as well. One of the first things George Washington did when he took office was ask Alexander Hamilton to come up with a plan to boost U.S. manufacturing. The result was Hamilton's famous report on manufacturers, which proposed using tariffs and subsidies to grow the industry of our young republic. While controversial at the time, Hamilton's report eventually became the playbook for 200 years of trade policy that made the United States the greatest industrial powerhouse the world has ever seen. And then everything changed. Starting the, ni starting the 1990s, Mr. Clinton, all right, uh, Washington began embracing a new thought of, of about how to grow the wealth of nations. This new school of thought, pushed by Wall Street and corporate America, said that so-called free trade deals were the best and fastest way to, to riches. All free trade deals like NAFTA and CAFTA really did, though, was to take the most important part of our economy, manufacturing, and send it overseas. According to Public Citizen, NAFTA alone led to a net loss of over one million jobs. As a result of all this, manufacturing now makes up just about 12% of our GDP, a far cry from the 1950s when it made up almost 30% of our GDP. This is about as bad as it gets. Without a strong manufacturing base, no great power can, can survive as a great power. It will instead become dependent on foreign goods and financial world to create wealth out of thin air, a recipe for economic disaster after economic disaster. And without strong manufacturing jobs that actually create things, the middle class will wither and die, just as it has started to do here in the U.S. over the past few decades. This is why the current debate over the TPP and fast-track fast Tracking is such a big deal. Two decades of free trade deals have eviscerated the middle class and bloodied the American dream. If, Amer if President Obama goes ahead and signs us into another free trade deal, especially one as destructive as the TPP, that will be like tying a cement block to the feet of a drowning man. It will spell the end of the U.S. middle class and, for that matter, the vision of the United States that Alexander Hamilton first put forward more than 200 years ago. So call your Congress, your members of Congress today and tell them to just say no to the shaft at TPP and President Obama's request for fast-tracking power. Oh, boy. This article was first published in Truth Out, okay? So please go to the truthout.org and see, see this article and others just like it, okay? Um, I want to... Now, there's another... Here's why the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement is this playing wrong? Mm, Robert Reich. Right. This is from Truth Dig. And Robert Reich was, uh, what was he, Treasury of the Treasury of the Secretary of the Treasury of the Treasury? Uh, labor. labor. Labor? Labor, I think. Right. Okay. Here's why the uh, Trans Pacific Partnership Agreement is just plain wrong. This was from his 
Republicans who now run Congress say they want to cooperate with President Obama and point to the administration's Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, as the model. The only problem is that the TPP would be a disaster. If you haven't heard much about the TPP, that's part of the problem right there. It will be the largest trade deal in history, involving countries stretching from Chile to Japan, representing 792 million people and accounting for 40% of the world economy, yet it's been devised in secret. Lobbyists from America's biggest corporations and Wall Street's biggest banks have been involved, but not the American public. That's a recipe for fatter profits and bigger paychecks at the top but not a good deal for most of us or even for the most of the rest of the world. First, some background. We used to think about trade policy as a choice between free trade and protectionism. Free trade meant opening our borders to products made elsewhere. Protectionism meant putting up tariffs and quotas to keep them out. In the decades after World War II, America chose free trade. The idea was that each country would specialize in goods that produced best and at, least, at the least cost. That way, the living standards would rise here and abroad. New jobs would be created to take the place of jobs that were lost, and communism would be contained. For three decades, the free trade worked. It was a win-win-win. But in the most more recent decades, the choice has been far more complicated, and the payoff from trade agreements more skewed to those at the top. Tariffs are already low. Negotiations now involve such things as intellectual property, financial regulations, labor laws, and rules for health, safety, and the environment. It's no longer free trade versus protectionism. Big corporations and Wall Street want some of both. They, uh they want more international protection when it comes to their intellectual property and other assets. So they've been seeking trade rules that secure and extend their patents, trademarks, and copyrights abroad and protect their global franchise agreements, securities, and loans. But they want less protection of consumers, workers, small investors, and the environment because these interfere with their profits. So they've been seeking trade rules that allow them to override these protections. Not surprising for a deal uh, that's been drafted mostly by corporate and Wall Street lobbyists, the TPP provides exactly this mix. What's been leaked about it so far reveals, for example, that the pharmaceutical industry gets stronger patent protections, delaying cheaper generic versions of drugs. That will be a good deal for Big Pharma, but not necessarily for the inhabitants of uh, developing nations who won't get certain life-saving drugs at a cost they can afford. The TPP also gives global corporations an international tribunal of private attorneys outside any nation's legal system who can order compensation for any unjust expropriation of foreign assets. For, better of, for even better for global companies, the tribunal can order compensation for any lost profits found to result from a nation's regulation. Philip Morris is using a similar provision against Uruguay. The provision appears in a bilateral trade agreement between Uruguay and Switzerland, claiming that Uruguay's strong anti-smoking regulations unfairly diminish the company's profits. Can you imagine that? Anyone believing that TPP is good for Americans, take note. The foreign subsidies subsidiaries of the U.S.-based corporation 
could just as easily challenge any U.S. government regulation they claim unfairly diminishes their profits. Say, a regulation protecting American consumers from unsafe products or unhealthy foods, investors from fraudulent securities or predatory lending, workers from unsafe working conditions, taxpayers from another bailout of Wall Street, or the environment from toxic emissions. The administration says the trade deal will boost U.S. exports in the vast-growing Pacific Basin, where the United States faces growing economic competition from China. But the TPP is part of Obama's strategy to contain China's economic and strategic prowess. Fine, but the deal will also allow American corporations to outsource even more jobs abroad. In other words, the TPP is a Trojan horse in a global race to the bottom, giving big corporations and Wall Street banks a way to eliminate any and all laws and regulations that get in the way of their profits. At a time when corporate profits are at record highs and real median wages lower than it's been in four decades, most Americans need protection, not from international trade, but from the political power of large corporations and Wall Street. The Trans-Pacific Partnership is the wrong remedy to the wrong problem. Any way you look at it, it's just plain wrong. Okay. Now, I got something else I want to read here, um, and that's the uh, and uh, I think this is great. Trans-Pacific Partnership, Wikipedia, they're from Wikipedia, which is the which explains it. Okay? Uh huh. Okay. Um, and I think that's probably very critical. Gives us a user-friendly. Yeah. The Trans-Pacific Partnership is a proposed regional regulatory and investment treaty. As of 2014, 12 countries throughout the Asian Pacific region have participated in negotiations on the TPP. Australia, Brunei, Canada, Chile, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, the United States, and Vietnam. The proposed agreement began in 2005 as the Trans-Pacific Strategic Partnership Agreement. Participating countries set the goal of wrapping up negotiations in 2012, but conscientious, contentious, excuse me, contentious issues such as agriculture, intellectual property, services, and investments have caused negotiations to continue into the present, with the last round meeting in Ottawa from 3 through the 12th of July 2014. Implementation of the TPP is one of the primary goals of the trade agenda of Obama's administration in the U.S. On, no, on the 12th of November 2011, the nine Trans-Pacific Partnership countries announced that the TPP intended to enhance trade and investment among the TPP partner countries to promote innovation, economic growth and development, and to support the creation and retention of jobs. Global health professionals, internet freedom activists, environmentalists, organized labor, advocacy groups, and elected officials have criticized and protested the negotiation. In large part because of the proceeding secrecy, um, the agreement uh, expands the scope and controversial clauses and drafts leaked to the public. Mm. I think I may get many of those documented, but on... Uh, October 16, 2014, WikiLeaks released the second updated version of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Intellectual Prop Chapter, and uh, contents are in here, membership and accession. Please go 
please go to this article on WikiLeaks, uh, just the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It breaks down the entire, uh, all the countries involved, the history of it, the negotiations that are involved. I mean, it's, it's really too long to read here, but uh -huh. uh, it, it talks about the intellectual properties provisions, investor state arbitration, uh, negotiation secrecy, um, and uh, currency manipulation, uh, Australian health impact assessment, New Zealand public opinion poll for uh, uh, trade agreements that see which go, uh, should be rejected. New Zealand wants to reject it. Uh, Why is that? It says Paul conducted uh, December 12, 2012 showed 64% of New Zealand's about trade agreements such as the TPP, which allow corporations to sue governments, should be rejected. Good. Yeah. Um, Australian Health Impact Assessment uh, discussed the potential impact of the TPP on the health of Australia's population. Policy brief uh, formulated through a collaboration between academics and government organizations was the basis of media and partnership continuing its health assessment. I don't know if nothing happening there. Uh, currency manipulation is another one. Uh, U.S. responses, uh, why the TPP presented grave risks and serves the interests of the wealthiest. Uh, organized labor is the, is the U.S. and the U.S. argued that the trade deal would largely benefit corporations at the expense of workers in the manufacturing and service industries. And the Economic Policy Institute Center for Economic Research uh, argued that TPP could result in further job losses and declining wages. It's really a sad thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And Democratic, uh, House Democrats signed a letter by Rosa DeLauro, who is our senator here in Connecticut, our representative in Connecticut. Congresswoman. And George Miller, which opposed the fast-track trade and promotion authority to the TPP. Oh, yeah, that was quite a while ago, in 2013. December. Yeah, of 2013. That, that was a year ago. Uh -huh. she's, she's since then... Uh, Speaking of more. Recently on C-SPAN, we saw her, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, putting a stop to, to, to this uh, fast, fast track. And um, the Trade Promotion Authority, uh, House Democrats refused to put forward a co-sponsor for the legislation, hampering the bill's prospects for passage. Norm 214. Trotsky warned that the TPP is designed to carry forward the, the neoliberal project to maximize profit and domination and to set the working people in the world in competition with one another so as to lower wages to increase insecurity. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont, who opposes fast track, stated that trade agreements like the TPP have ended up devastating working families and enriching large corporations. Economist Paul Krugman reported it'll be undismayed and even I'll be I'll be undismayed and even a bit relieved if the TPP just fades away, and said that there isn't a compelling case for this deal from either a global or a national point of view. Krugman also noted the absence of anything like a political cons consensus in favor abroad or at home. Economist Robert. Reich contends that the TPP is a Trojan horse and global race to the bottom, giving big corporations and Wall Street banks a way to eliminate 
any and all laws and regulations get that get in the way of their profits, and that's so true. That's profit. The part that we know, there, I'm sure there were parts that we don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Malaysian protesters uh, dressed as zombies outside a shopping mall uh, to protest the TPP on the price of medicine, including drug treatments for HIV. Good. I'm glad they... The protest groups consisted of students, members of the Malaysian AIDS Council and HIV. Um, nationwide, worldwide, nobody wants this damn agreement. Nobody. Uh, none of these, except these, I don't know, these countries... Um, even the people in any of these countries don't want it, all right? It's the wealthy people in these countries that want it. The business. And uh, paid off and bought their elections yep. by these corporations. <laughs> That's what it's about. Yep. Oh, yeah. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a cold. I think I have an allergy yeah. for something. I'm not quite sure what it is. I have something here I wanted to show. To, to show Are you it. finished with that? Yeah, but I want something okay. here to show you. Which kind of... Politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. Huh. Like Groucho Marx said that. Groucho Marx. Well, I think he was right. Definitely How about this? The four-letter word politicians avoid. Poor. Oh, God. In his State of the Union address on January 20th, President Barack Obama never used the word poor and only used the word poverty once. <clears throat> which was in the context of the fighting extreme poverty globally in emphasizing the recent Ebola outbreak in West Africa, like it doesn't apply to us. The previous week, most Americans were shocked by a report from the Southern Education Foundation suggesting that low-income students were now the majority in America's public schools. What the report actually found was that the majority of America's school children were eligible to receive free or reduced-priced lunches at their schools. Some of the eligible poor students are living in poverty. Others are at near-poverty levels. And the rest go to schools with high concentrations of poor students. So maybe that explains why this report didn't influence the president to change his State of the Union to mention the word poor or poverty. Nevertheless, the dire situation of America's children means we must move to a new accounting framework. Economists have feared real gross domestic product per, have favored real gross domestic product per capita, the value of all goods and services produced by a country, adjusted for population size and inflation. For economists, this figure marks what is possible for a nation, since it measures the resources available to address problems, whether an outbreak of Ebola or the need to build roads and bridges or educate a nation. So <clears throat> in January 1964, the real GDP per capita of the United States stood at $19,233 when President Lyndon B. Johnson in his State of the Union told America that the administration today, here and now, declares un an unconditional war on the poverty in America. <clears throat> I added emphasis to the richest nation on earth. This is what he says. The richest nation on earth can afford to win. We cannot afford to lose. Because the U.S. real GDP per capita was the largest at that time, 
And so, as President Johnson said, we can't afford to defeat poverty. This January, the real GDP per capita for the United States is more than $50,805. Given the poverty level for a family of four is $23,850, it is a real puzzle how, with output per person growing by $31,572, poverty was not eradicated. Fully, the fruits of the growth didn't spread very wide. Instead, we began 2013 with 19.9% of America's children living in poverty. Sadly, 7.6% of America's children live in households below the poverty line, where at least one family member works a year, works year-round full-time, a clear testament to the effects of falling and stagnant wages for all workers. Falling wages have pushed the rings of the middle-class income ladder on the top of the collapsing rungs of the falling minimum wage and the working poor. But there was no mention of the word poor or ending poverty, though clearly we can afford to end it. The silver lining in the story on the high share of American children getting a subsidized lunches is that it is a sign we can get it that the wealth of the U.S. can solve problems that can feed our children, and it shows a use of the commons in the sense that many of our states are commonwealths, as the U.S. Constitution puts it, to promote the general welfare. But with so many of our children poor, near poor, and school systems with high concentrations of poor children, the general welfare becomes even more important. Unless we act, too many of our children will be priced out of education. Our nation needs them to attain and to sustain our economy and to run our complex defense system and to add to our cultural riches and also to cure the sick. We need a national accounting that measures what the nation needs. And with so many poor children, the deficits we face with, let, we let people be priced out, and that's sad. Instead, what we are now hearing from Congress is that the richest nation on Earth that sent people safely into outer space, launched the Internet highway system, and found the vaccine to polio when its per capita GDP was less than half of its current size, cannot now afford to educate its children. My paternal grandmother grew up in Fayette County, Iowa, at the turn of the past century. The model of West Union High of Fayette, Fayette in 1919 was, impossible is un-American. Maybe that is why Congress has such a low rating. <laughs> Excellent to me. Now, interestingly enough, we get a, um, it's not just our country that's fed up. With, uh, with the way things are going. But Germany just had a huge protest against uh, Monsanto, GMOs, and, um, uh, the TTIP, which was also which is a, is a trade agreement. Okay, thousands march against TTIP, GMOs, and industrial farming in Berlin. The EU-USA trade agreement, or the TTIP, only 
uh, serves global concerns and will take away the means of existence from many farms here and across the world. Rally organizer uh, uh, Joshin Fritz uh, told the media, a broad alliance of all, more than 120 organizations along with concerned citizens totaling 50,000 people took to the streets for the fifth annual We Are Fed Up demonstration, which this year focused on the increased importation of American farming practices such as genetic modification, frequent antibiotic injections for animals, and chemical uh, meat treatments. Mm. Yeah, interesting, huh? Um, hang on a second. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I, I'll see if they get this, uh, this Russian TV. How about 23 things that really bother poor people? One is staying in an extended stay housing, a motel or a hotel, and paying the higher rate because you can't qualify to get an apartment because you don't have proof of income. Number two, digging through the trash to find uneaten food. Number three, scavenging the ground for change to buy a meal. Number four, searching everywhere for coupons to make necessities affordable. Number five, stealing products like toilet paper from public restrooms so you can actually have them at home. Selling plasma, that's like blood, in order to afford groceries or pay rent. Buying coffee on lay buying clothes on layaway. During driving on tires so bald they could cause an accident at any moment. Number nine, pulling your own tooth rather than to pay for it with a dentist. Number ten, doing laundry in the sink with dish soap. Number eleven, buying antibiotics and other medicines meant for animals because you couldn't afford the pharmacy. Number twelve learning when things like meat, fish, and bread get marked down in price because they're going to spoil soon, so they reduce for quicker sale. Number 13, living in pain because you can't afford prescriptions. Number 14, paying hundreds of extra dollars to obtain furniture through rent-to-own stores. Number 15, buying cheap plastic toys at the dollar store so your children have birthday presents. Number 16, stretching peanut butter, or other staples by diluting them. Number 17, washing and reusing plastic knives, forks, and spoons. And storage bags. Number 18, visiting a store or public building to get a few minutes of air conditioning in the summer or heat in the winter. Number 19, enduring the seemingly never-ending cycle of payday loans with an exorbitant interest rate that are hard to repay. Number 20, dropping out of school to help your family pay the bills. Number 21, using candles to keep electricity bills down. 22, splitting two-ply toilet paper to make two rolls. 23, buying lottery tickets to have some hope of a better future. That's pretty sad. You got anything there, Leo? Yeah, uh, uh, that's a sad. Um, no, I, I, I was just, um, I was just looking at this. Continue uh, looking at this big protest in Germany. Of course, you know, BBC and and NBC and and nobody covers this stuff. You know, nobody no, they covers don't say this anything. stuff. No. They never talk about this stuff. Here's Russian TV. Um, 
you know, talking about it and uh, showing showing pictures of it. And I think that that's, that's probably video. why we're going to have additional sanctions against them. Oh yeah, well, Russian TV, believe it or not, talks about real stuff. You know, stuff that doesn't get talked about anywhere else. This is the big, huge farmer demonstration in, uh, in uh, Germany, Berlin. They had tractors, and they, I thought there'd be a narration here, but there wasn't any. It's a huge, there's about 50,000 people that, uh, with 80 tractors and all kinds of other stuff, farm equipment and stuff that came down through there. But you know, this was in Berlin, and they they want nothing to do with the with the with the trade in, trade agreements, uh, and uh, and GMOs, uh, and they've kicked most of Monsanto out of Europe. There's a cute thing. Americans be like, be like. Oh my God, deflating footballs is cheating. Someone has to pay. And then there's a picture of deflating footballs, and then there's a picture of Congress. And it says, these guys are cool, though. When they lie, cheat, and steal, it's just politics. Anybody getting too upset about the the deflated, uh, deflate gate is, is crazy. I don't think people care. No. Right. Well, well, people are crazy, man. They, they, get, they get nuts. I mean, some asshole, I'm sorry, some, some clown is going to be paying $10,000 or something for a seat at the, uh, at the Super Bowl this year. You know, it's like, come on, you know. Who's crazy enough to do that? Just to just to go rah 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 rah, you know? Yeah, I don't know. They just, uh, yeah, they get all upset over uh, deflated football. New bill proposes a ban on body armor. That's true. A new bill has just been introduced in the House, which could uh, make civilian ownership of body armor illegal. The bill called the Responsible Body Armor Possession. Okay. Act. Right. I mean, come on. the right of civilians to purchase their own body armor. The bill reads, it shall be unlawful for a person to purchase, own, or possess uh, enhanced body armor. That's right. Um, and uh, enhanced body armor, as defined in the bill, is body armor including a helmet or shield, ballistic resistance, anything that police have, you're not allowed to have. Okay, that's what it's saying. So, you know, guns, They don't want you to be protected against somebody who's shooting at you, you know, or in a war zone somewhere when they come and get you. Yeah, that's what it's about, folks. Uh, hey, look, there's a treatment for heroin addiction that actually works. Why aren't they using it? It's from Huffington Post. Are you interested? Well, we could find out. I think it's interesting. Usually after we read our frightful union issues and find out how we're all getting screwed, blued, and tattooed in this country. Uh, we like to we like to read more about our about different medical things or health things or, you know, uh, you know, what's going on around the world here in this country, health wise. Uh, there's a treatment for heroin addiction that actually works. Why aren't they using it? 
right. Well, the last image we have of Patrick Keiji is of his first moments as a free man. He was just walked out of a 30-day drug treatment center in Georgetown, Kentucky, dressed in gym clothes and carrying a Nike duffel bag. The moment reminds his father of Patrick's graduation from college, and he takes a picture of his son and his cell phone. Uh, Patrick is 25. His face bright. He sticks his tongue out in embarrassment. Four days later, he will be dead from a heroin overdose. The day in August 2015, Patrick got in the car and put the duffel bag on his seat. Inside was a talisman he'd been given by the treatment facility. A hardcover fourth, edu- uh, fourth edition of the Alcoholics Anonymous Bible, known as the Big Book. This is a previous yeah. picture of the guy, I guess. Um, and a service of ballpoint pen, uh, where his pages were full of highlighted and bristling with posters. But back in the wood panel uh, living room of the Lexington, Kentucky home that afternoon, Patrick and his parents began an impromptu family meeting about what to do next. All right? And uh, Patrick took the footy, footrest between them, sitting with his hands on his knees. Was he ready to be home? Did he have a plan to get a sponsor? Maybe he should start looking for a job or apply for graduate. Before he entered Recovery Works, because I'm just trying to find out where the thing was. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Patrick, we can get you in your medication, Aunt Older's son. There are other options. We can put you on methadone or we can give you sub subazone. Uh, there are other things that you can do besides the 12-step program. Patrick knew firsthand that subazone's potential. He had tried it on the black market to stave off sickness when he couldn't get the heroin, uh, what law enforcement calls diversion. But uh, Patrick had just left a facility that pushed other solutions. He got he had gotten a crash course on on the uh, anyway. The poor bastard died, and that was the end of that. So, because he didn't have uh, access to the stuff. Sad, huh? It is. It's very sad. They wouldn't give him access to the stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's a sad story. It really is. Yeah, it's sad available, story. but they won't give it to you. you know? and, uh, <laughs> uh, the likely cause of addiction has been discovered, and it's not what you think. Anybody out there is addicted to something, which most people are addicted to something. Mm-hmm. Maybe this can help them. Uh, the likely cause of addiction has been discovered. It's not what you think. It is now 100 years since drugs were first banned, and all through this long century of waging war on drugs, we have been uh, told a story about addiction by our teachers and our government. The story is so deeply ingrained in our mind that we can't that we take it for granted. It seems obvious. It seems manifestly true until I set off three and a half years ago on a 30,000-mile journey for my new book, Chasing the Scream. Huh. First and last days of the war on drugs. Okay. Uh, but what I learned on the road is that almost everything we have been told about addiction is wrong, and there is a very different story waiting for us if only we were uh, ready to hear it. I learned from an extraordinary mixture of people, okay? And uh, he's saying that uh, if you had asked, uh, I'm going to ask you, 
this is another long article which I kind of pre pre read but quickly skimmed through. But I'm gonna since we're running out of time, I'm gonna ask you to go to to uh, Huffington Post. It's kind of a good article, but it's more of a more of a story, you know, about a guy you know discovered. Um, another great thing that happened, which I was kind of thrilled about, was uh, I I don't know where this is gonna lead, but I was really happy to hear that Greece elected the first anti-capitalist party in European history, right? I think that was kind of good. And uh, I don't know, everybody's talking about Greece getting a haircut. I just hope that what they do is do what they did in, um, you know, do what they did What's in, that in Iceland. Huh? Oh, yes, absolutely. That, that, they just threw out right. all the bankers and started their print of their own money. Exactly. No, that, that's and, folks, right. we could do exactly the same thing here, but... The bankers have bought off the Congress, the President, and everybody else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless yeah. the people rose up and threw them all out and said, we're going to write a new constitution like they did in Iceland and really have a representative participating democracy. The problem is they haven't quite done that yet in Greece. They're, too, they're working on it. And I've got a feeling from what I can say. They're getting pressure, though, not yeah. to do it. Yeah. But, you know, they, of course they don't because they, they're creditors. What did they the say about Scotland? Oh, uh, they became the uh, third country, or for becoming the third country to to ban fracking. Okay. Yeah, isn't that good? That is. Yeah, because that that, they they have oil all around the their North country sea. in the North Sea. Yeah, it's, loaded, you know, it's very it's, dangerous, yeah. though, I think, to get it there. It's a bright road. But, you know, they don't want fracking because it'll just pollute all their water. Oh, be terrible. be terrible for them. And who are the other two countries? Uh, let's see, I don't know. Not us. I wonder who else. Good for them. They had a lot of controversy, they're saying, in uh, Scotland, in the United Kingdom, but they decided to ban it. Scotland did, yeah. Scotland did, uh, right. Not, not the UK. Um, 54% of the people were against it, it says here. Only 15% supported it. Doesn't eight we're happy for it to happen to happen elsewhere. Um, it doesn't really say where. Yeah, I thought I thought it would say where where the country was in it. Go down to the bottom, maybe. No, they didn't really say. I, I would like to know who the other what other countries are yeah. against it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it doesn't say. Thought it would, but oh well. Anyway, they're the third country. Yeah. I wish we would stop it. I wish we would, too. Uh, is there's no necessity yeah. for it. There's no. plenty of oil. No. There's no need for fracking. Well, anyway. Five charts that show how the middle class is disappearing. Why is the middle class slipping into poverty? What do they say there? Already the richest country in the world, the United States reached its highest cumulative wealth ever in 2013. It ranked fourth in the world in wealth per person, with 348000 for every American adult. But the average American wouldn't know it, thanks to economic policies that favor super-rich and fuel inequality. The typical U.S. adult's total wealth is $31,688, not even close to 348000 and things aren't poised to change. The median household brought in $51,939 in 2013, 
a real dollar increase of just $180 from 2012. The recent income stagnation came in the wake of a steep drop from 2007 to 2011. So. Yeah, it went from 58,000 in 2007 to, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, 